0: Thank you, Greg. Let us pray. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on those watching this through live stream wherever they are. And on those who have gathered in this worship center to worship and praise you. And fall fresh now on this preacher. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Friends, have you ever wondered why the shepherds reacted to the angels singing and ran to what was, for all practical purposes, a barn for animals to worship and praise a peasant child. Have you ever thought about why did God send this angelic choir who showed up to sing? at the birth of a child from a pregnant, teenage, unwed mother. Did you ever think about why would three scientists, astronomers by trade, would follow a star halfway across the known world to find a child? I believe it's because of what the child represented. I believe it's because they were looking for hope. They came to try to find joy. They needed peace and they needed to experience God's grace-filled love. I think it's the same thing that many in this COVID religious divided and canceled culture are searching for today. The world of 4th century Palestine was not much different than our 21st century trappings. The political system was not much different. For, for thousands of years, the Jewish people were Subject to enslavement, first by the Egyptians, then the Syrians, then the Babylonians and Persian and Greeks, and now Rome. In the first century, Romans ruled Palestine, where Jesus grew up, and was born and spent his childhood in the hierarchy of, of the power of the Jewish government. You see, the Rome was brilliant. They would allow all groups to have their own self-government and own religion. The Jewish people had their own self-government, but the ultimate authority rests in the hands of the Roman government and King Herod, which had to report to Rome, to the Emperor Caesar. The Roman government practiced syncretism they, they, they accepted that all religious beliefs, all philosophies, all teaching, and all government systems are ultimately compatible or a reflection of the larger system, the Roman Empire. They practice one of the first, one of the first countries to practice a, a two-system policy, pronouncing that all people had religious freedom and political freedom and freedom of thought, yet had to maintain strict discipline issued by the Roman government. The Jewish people didn't trust and often hated Rome. They were unwilling subjects. And at the time of Jesus' birth, the local Roman ruler, King Herod, had initiated a massacre of all Jewish baby boys born at that time. Herod also was responsible for placing forbidden idols within the Jewish place of worship. This only gave the Jewish people more reason for resentment uh, of the foreign government that had occupied even the houses of worship. The Jews understood the world to be divided into two types of people, Jewish and Gentile. Everyone that wasn't Jewish were Gentiles. Can you imagine the people, the anointed ones, the people that God saved? Zion practiced disassociation from everything in God's world that wasn't like Them, they indeed were far, far away from home. The Jewish people accepted their freedom in both their government system and maintaining their own traditions. Yet Rome required that everything ultimately was subject to Roman authority. For example, Jewish citizens were were under the authority of the Jewish court system, the Sanhedrin. Yet, all rulings of death had to be sanctioned by the Roman government. The Jewish religious and governing systems were divided between two parties. The Pharisees, the people's party, if you will taught the law and traditions of Israel's patriarchal system and were strictly, strictly held to Jewish law. And there was the Sadducees, the wealthy conservative leaders who rejected tradition in favor of political and religious cooperation with the Roman Empire. The average Israeli life did not contain much hope especially since they had not heard from God through a prophet in over 400 years. The economic system was not bright for the common folk. The, econom- the economy of first century Israel was supported by three segments, agriculture of olives, figs, grains, and dates, and venture trades was made because of Israel's key location in the Mediterranean Sea and a large government building project that was sponsored by King Herod. King Herod employed many, a lot of public works and building. He built temples in Jerusalem, places places of ports. He, he made fortresses. He built stadiums. He, he commissioned stone carvings, but there was a very large disparity between the have and the have nots, between the rich and the poor. The upper class was made up of the temple priests and priestly aristocracy. It included the Sadducees. The middle class was comprised of traders and merchants, artisans, stone cutters, masons, sculptures, craftsmen, metal, wood, cloth, and die dealers. The Pharisees and the sage scribes and teachers were also part of the middle class. The lower class was made of laborers, weavers, stone carriers, slaves, non-Jewish persons who were taken into slavery because they owed a debt that they could not pay. And the unemployable, the lepers, blind challenged people who were physically challenged the roman government required heavy heavy taxations even if you were middle class tax collectors were locally employed and considered to be outcasts and traitors by the local people who were required to give and sacrifice to the temple sometimes in the form Of money usually by purchasing sacrificial animals to offer to the priests traveling preachers made their living by traveling from town to town spreading their own version of what they thought was gospel they made their living from gifts that they extracted from the people during the first century the temple courtyards had often become a marketplace. Local merchants would sell sacrificial animals at an excessive cost in order to turn a profit from tourists or religious seekers, people who came to seek mercy and favor from God. It was not a time of hope, peace, joy, and no one understood lifestyle of love. People spent most of their life in and around forming villages like Nazareth. It was similar to forming villages all over the world today. Their life was patterned after tradition, the traditional roles and rituals that was passed down from one generation to another. It was a period in which the words of James Weldon Johnson rang true. Hope unborn had already died. Jewish leaders fought for the purity of their belief in one God, Yahweh. In the face of several, was dealt from person to person, from preacher to preacher, from town to town. And yet, at the same time, they were fragmented into two sects divided over various interpretations of Jewish law. The Jewish people were seeking a Messiah, a Savior. They were waiting for the leader God had promised who, according to their understanding, would bring them spiritual renewal and political freedom, freedom from centuries of oppression, currently by Rome. The shepherds. Angels, scientists who followed a star across the known world came to find a savior who left his home to bring them home to God. And that's exactly why people seek Jesus today. That's exactly why Advent is held in high esteem today. Life has caused many to drift away from home and we know God has left home to bring us back to where we belong, back to God's loving, safe arms, where we experience the joy of being home with God, where we experience the hope of knowing that God is with us, where we experience the peace of being safe in the knowledge God is with us and live by the grace of God's love. And my brothers and sisters, people in God's world need us to issue them an invitation to come home this Christmas. That's what the stockings are about in the atrium. When you walk out, they have been assembled so that all you have to do is take one or more and simply hand them to someone. In those stockings are invitations for people to come home to God during this Christmas season. In those stockings who were prayed over. And stuffed by people who love God and love God's people are invitations for those whom God loves to come back where they belong. Because we, we hold the key to the world's destiny. God is calling the church to shine our light, the light of home that rests within us. Some have been searching for years to find home. To be born anew in a family that loves them unconditionally. God wants our hearts to be on fire for those who are searching for him. To create in others that they see love in us. They see our desire because we are at home with Christ. Friends... As we are experiencing, life isn't a bed of roses, just because we are Christians. But my sisters and brothers, Jesus once described God's love in this way. God cares for the flowers in the fields. God's love is like a flower. It's like a bud that spreads with rain and sunshine. Love blooms beautiful colors shining through us. We are blessed, brothers and sisters, because God shines through us. God demonstrated his love in Mary as a young teenager from the wrong side of the tracks. With child, with no husband in her life. It must have been difficult for her to even love herself with everyone deframing her name and whispering as she walks by. She decided to get away and visit her cousin. Elizabeth is also pregnant with child at an older age when Zachariah and others deemed her barren. Elizabeth was proof that in God's economy, where love is the currency of possibilities. Elizabeth was pregnant, and that pregnancy was a visible sign of God's power and love. But when her baby John danced in her womb, her womb, Mary understood God had chose her, a poor teenager, to carry the greatest gift that the world has ever experienced, the Christ. Mary suddenly had joy, peace, hope, and experienced a love that she had never known before. But most people, most fragile human hearts, want no part of a love that has to endure pain and disappointment. And yet, the real work of love comes when love prevails in spite of what happens to us in spite in life, in spite of the disappointments and heartbreaks and heartaches that we face. The people who choose to forgive the person who murders a loved one in a Bible study. The man who works to appease his jealous wife gains far more than he would otherwise lose the person who cooperates with the district attorney because he believes the other has suffered enough. This thing called love is the most powerful weapon that God has unleashed on the world through us. Where do we learn to love like this? First John says, we love because Christ first loved us. The magnificent love received from Christ is the kind of love we pass on from heart to heart, person to person. It's work. It starts by accepting Christ's love for us and inviting Christ to come home and take up residency in our lives so that we can express the same kind of love toward those whom God loves dearly. And in relationships, to those that make it even difficult for us to love them. Christ's love is practical. It seeks to express itself in many, 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 many ways. This thing called love embraces hospitality towards strangers. It showers compassion on those suffering from misfortunes. It seeks ways to nurture relationships by actively working to enrich and to v- develop the object of our love. That's the way of love. It's a sacrificial kind of love that knows no boundaries. Love should be the central theme of every Christian's life. Jesus summed it up, and when he called this way, he said, in everything you do to others as you would have them do to you. For this is the law of the prophets. We call this the golden rules because it is expressed in some way in every known religion in the world. Jesus said that we should love God with all our heart, with all of our soul, and all of our mind, and God's people the way we love ourselves. In fact, this thing called love is so powerful that James called it the royal way. And Paul promised that it would never fail. But it's a choice, my friends. True love rejects envy and strife in favor of the higher ground of forgiveness and reconciliation. Christ calls us to a life of love and allows us to start over again and again with no limits and no end in sight. It goes beyond our finite understanding. How can we understand that Christ left his home in glory, shed all of his royal diadem? got rid of all the attributes of the Holy of Holies to experience everything that we experience so that nothing, nothing that happens to us in life is out knowledge. We are loved and we have been appointed. You know, we've been appointed by the king of kings. We have a duty to cry in the streets by the smiles in our eyes and the embrace of God's people. To carry a message of salvation is possible because Christ can come home to you. How will the world know that God is among us except we allow God to take up residency in us and go out into God's highways and hedges and simply be with the others the best we can. If the son has come home in your life, you have a uniform to wear, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon ye, and you shall be witnesses unto me. If the Son has come home in your life, his righteousness and strength is there to sustain you to whatever this dark world tries to throw at you. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we don't faint. The king has come home. He wants to be in your life. He wants to find a home in you and me so that we can invite others to come home, to tell the world, by the way, we treat them, that God has come home and He's coming again. He came first as a baby. When he, when he returns, He will come to make earth His permanent home and He shall reign forever as King and King. He came wrapped in and clothes, but when He comes home again, He will wear the robe of royalty. He came first meek and lowly, but when he returns, he will be high and lifted up. He came crowned with thorns when he came first, but when he returns, he will be crowned with glory. Brothers and sisters, Christ is home in you with a precious gift of salvation and a lifestyle of hope of peace of joy and love he's come home to you and now invites us to invite others to give their life to the one who seeks and saves the lost who are far far from home let us pray god we thank you for this christmas season this awesome season that reminds us that when the world was desperate and even now that we are desperate We are desperate because we live in a world that darkness is shining through our living rooms on our television screens and on our radios and in our newspapers but at the same time as we see wind that destroyed towns and killed people we also see the wind of the Holy Spirit blowing through your people helping them to rebuild their lives and inviting them to come home not to a building but inviting them by their hands and feet to come home To you who will never leave them, who will never, ever forsake them. We see the wind of your Holy Spirit blowing through children who are dancing with joy at the coming of your son, Jesus Christ. And we see the wind of your Holy Spirit. And our brothers and sisters here at Calvary, who stuff stockings as an invitation for others. To come home. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.